With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Derek Broussard. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi. This is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 This is not the normal voice that you hear first when you come on to the Snow the Goalie podcast. Usually, it's the dulcet tones of Russ Joy screaming at the top of his lungs. Oh, yes. It's another episode. And then he gives his, you know, typical uh, alliterative uh description of our podcast here on snow the goalie and you may remember if you listened last week that i had said at the very end of the episode that this week's episode was going to be just russ and bundy because well i was away on vacation the two of them were going to be taking over the reins and they would give you a a, a fun and interesting episode and yet here we are the day i returned from vacation and uh, I check in with those guys, and they never they couldn't get their schedules together. Couldn't get it together. So I'm like, well, what are we doing? We, we just we can't just like leave this out there. We gotta get up. We told everyone there was gonna be an episode. We gotta put an episode out. And so Russ says, Yeah, you can record one if you want. Oh, oh gee, thanks. Thanks, Russ. Thanks. I'll record one if I want. Uh, and so without Russ being available or Bundy being available, uh, I'm not just gonna sit here and talk to myself the entire time. So I since I figure figure I'd call him a favor. I've hopped on his podcast a couple of times. Figure he would do the favor and you know hop on mine. So here from uh, from the fourth period, which is where he does his writing, uh, and uh, yes, there is another Flyers podcast out there uh, called the Brotherly Pod, which he's an erstwhile host of. Uh, welcome in Anthony Demarco. Aunt, thanks for joining in the program. Man, I'm looking forward to it today. Like I said, returning the favor for once. I feel like I owe you this time and then tenfold. But uh, yeah, it's nice to get the call up from the miners. And uh, yeah, I got to say, they really left you hanging out to dry today, did they not? Yeah, just, just a little bit, just a little bit. So uh, we call you up from the miner. You're wearing like a real high number because like, we're not letting you wear the lower numbers, right? Not yet. 98 seems fitting. 98, that seems like a that's good. A, that's a good one for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So Anthony's up uh, uh, off the uh, out of the minor league system to come in and fill in. And we really appreciate that for him joining us here on Snow the Goalie. And we do have some stuff to talk about because um, earlier today uh, there was a press conference, um, kind of an unexpected one. Um, nevertheless, it wasn't anything that was earth shattering. It was kind of 
news that we were just waiting for the shoe to drop to hear it um, about a bunch of injuries and, and where the Flyers are currently. Uh, the biggest news of the day, of course, being that Sean Couturier uh, underwent back surgery, will be out for the season. Um, and looking at other players, Fletcher mentioned guys like uh, uh, Ryan Ellis. They're thinking about the same thing. Um, Kevin Hayes, 50-50 to return. He probably can use another surgical procedure. Um, you know, first-round pick Tyson Forster skating, but probably shoulder injury is not good enough to come back and play. Um, the one bit of good news, I guess, that we got that I, I thought – you know, beginning of the season, we kind of thought Tanner Lachinsky was probably going to be a season-long injury. Uh, looks like uh, he's going to get an opportunity to come back and play here in the next couple of weeks. So there, there's one prospecty type player. You say, oh, well, man, maybe we'll get him like 20, 25 games. That's cool. Uh, but Ant, when you look at it and we, and we see, uh, you know, what this press conference was mostly about, this does seem like this is the moment where the team is admitting, even without not saying it publicly, but admitting that they are transitioning from – yeah, we're still we still think we're competing this year too. Okay, let's look at the deadline. Let's meet with our pro scouts. Let's talk about what's coming up, and then let's get some young kids ready to play in the NHL. I think that's exactly it. It's kind of like the unofficial waving of the white flag, as you alluded to before we started recording here. And you know, I spoke to people within the organization. I'm sure you heard the same, if not more, that they were really holding out hope right up until the all-star break that they would catch fire here. Maybe they'll get some guys back. Maybe they'll get some hot streaks going. And my co-host Dan on Brotherly Pod, I believe we recorded on Wednesday, and he said that was the six-week date since Ryan Ellis's six-week diagnosis was supposed to come to an end. So he has been out now for 12 weeks it feels more likely than not that he's going to get shut down at this point. And as you already brought up, Sean Couturier out for the remainder of the season, you can't realistically expect to do anything of substance without Sean Couturier to say nothing of Kevin Hayes, who they said is a 50-50 shot to play this season. And I think that in a lot of ways, this is something that needed to happen. Obviously, you never want to see players get hurt, especially big prominent figures like Sean Couturier, like Kevin Hayes, like Ryan Ellis. But had these guys come back, do you think, Ant, that it may have given them some false hope to avoid being sellers at the deadline? Well, I don't know if it would have if it would have given them false hope, but I think it would have done, and is it would have extended this. Like we wouldn't be sitting here on, you know, a, a mid a Friday night of Super Bowl weekend saying, um, oh yeah. Uh, you know, the, the the team, the season's over completely. The team's waved that white flag and we're now in complete sell mode. We're probably still saying, well, they're probably not going to make it, but they still think they have a shot because these guys are playing now. So they're going to probably drag it out a little bit longer. I mean, I, in all honesty, I think that's probably where we, we would be um, at this point. I mean, when you say false sense of security, look, could they have, you know, if those guys came back a little bit sooner than now, um, maybe didn't have that 13 game winless streak, um, won a few games in there and you're maybe sitting eight points out of a playoff spot right now. Um, maybe they, they sit there and give themselves that belief that, Hey, we could still get back into this. We believe in ourselves. Um, uh, but I think at this juncture, it's, it's come to the real, they've come to the realization that, yeah, this is it. This, this is, this is, this is, the, this is where we've reached our, you know, our tipping point, And we now have to focus on getting this team right for the next season and beyond. 
And you brought something up in there that I think is very important about how many more points would this team have, assuming these guys were healthy. And that's been a big talking point all season. We even heard Danny Breer alluded to allude to it on his uh, in his press conference on Wednesday. Chuck Fletcher brought it up when he met with the media. I believe it was last week or the week before that that this team has been battling a lot of injuries this year and a rash of injuries. And as much as we like to call a spade a spade and we don't like to talk about what ifs, they have battled a pretty significant rash of injuries. Ryan Ellis, Sean Couturier, Kevin Hayes, you could make the case that those guys are all top five players in terms of importance to this team. But that being said, as you brought up just before, how much better are we talking here? And let's say that they were just... Even to say, okay, best case scenario, they're right in the thick of a playoff spot. Is that what the ultimate goal is for this team? Is the ultimate goal just to squeak in, maybe beat out Boston on the last week of the regular season and grab a wild card position? You know, maybe if all those guys were healthy for the duration of the year from the beginning, that could have been a possibility. But what these injuries have shown is just how poor and lackluster the depth is on this team. Mm -hmm. You didn't have any centers to take up and grab those reins. Most notably, let's say a guy like Morgan Frost, you would have loved to see really step up in this scenario. Ryan Ellis going out with injury, it doesn't really come as a shock because we saw what a Matt Niskanen-Liss and Ryan Ellis-Liss team was last year defensively. So nobody being able to step up and fill those shoes isn't that much of a shock either. But then you look at some of the guys who really haven't taken that next step offensively as well, like Oscar Lindblom. He's shown some spurts under Mike Yo, but not consistently enough. Travis Konechny, still just kind of like a decent second-line player. I believe he's on a 48-point pace at this point, and surely uh, not in the way of goals. I believe he's going to average less than 20 goals if we continue on. And then beyond that, you have a guy like JVR, who you referred to as a pariah over on Brotherly Pod the last time we had you on. So while the injuries have played a big factor here, and you can't make light of that, they have shown the big weaknesses on this team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it the, the injuries, and, and of course, there were some COVID issues in there as well, um, that, that did show that the team lacked depth. And, and that was the most important thing to, to, to learn about the Flyers this year, is that they did not have, you know, you always say, well, these other teams have injuries, these other teams have COVID issues. And, the, you know, I mean, I look at Pittsburgh. If you remember, Amp, back in the end of the year, Penguins had, they were missing all four senators, or not senators, center centers. They were mm-hmm. missing. Um, they were missing uh, three defensemen at one point, and they're in the top three in the division right now, or second place in the division, I believe. Um, the Penguins. So, I mean, they obviously have the depth that the Flyers do not, because they very similar situations. Now, you know, I guess you could compare. I mean, Couturier's injury to like Malkin. Malkin missed. 35 games. That's about what Couturier has missed at this point. Um, you know, and, and yeah, you know, to be fair to the Flyers, all four centers that they were starting the season with were out at once in Couturier, Hayes, Broussard, and Brown, I believe, who was the fourth, was supposed to be the fourth line guy, right? So, yeah, okay. You, so you don't ever want to be that shorthanded down the middle. But at the same time, you have to hope that you have in your system players that can step into those roles. Now you mentioned Morgan Frost. Right? This is an interesting, interesting cat. So, um, you know, you and I have talked off air many times about Morgan Frost 
And up until a few games ago, I'd probably say, you know, the last four or five games he played before the, the all-star break, like he really didn't show anything to me. Like I, we, we were sitting there saying like, man, there, there's, a, there's something not, not right. This, you know, you would hope to see more out of this kid and we're really not. Um, and then he played a few good games in a row. I, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to say it's like, like, the, like a switch went off and he played some pretty good hockey. And they still sent him down. And that, that kind of like, I was like, okay. <laughs> All right, so you, you got the guy finally playing the way you want to play, and you sent him down. Now, from what I'm told, Morgan was not very happy with this, um, and that's not surprising. But at the same time, it's, you, you wonder, does it make more sense with him playing those games the way he played, knowing that he was playing as well as he was playing those last few games, to still get sent down, does that make do you hope that the message gets driven in that even that we need more of if you're going to play at this level? And we want you to go down and play in all these situations and all these big minutes in the minors over the course of the next couple of weeks. And then when you come back, you take that job and don't ever give it up. And, and I kind of got the sense. Well, look, we haven't seen it ourselves, but again, we're watching from a press box, we're watching from on TV. We haven't seen it, but they I know that they still think that Morgan's got a little something there and they're not quite yet ready to move on from him. Well, that's an interesting point because I feel like there were two schools of thought with Morgan Frost over the course of the season. First, you had AV school of thought and then you had Mike Yo's school of thought. AV utilized Morgan Frost as what's the best way this guy can help me right now. And that way was playing left wing with Claude Giroux and Cam Atkinson. And you could make the case that he has not looked as good as he did with those two guys mm -hmm. because he didn't have to worry about the 200 foot game defensively taking faceoffs. All he had to do was be creative in the offensive zone. As soon as Mike Yo came in and took over behind the bench it seemed as though he went with the mentality with Frost, like, we know you can be better, and until you show that, you're going to have to work your way up the lineup. And that's why you've seen him center guys like Max Willman and Jerry Mayhew. I believe Zach McEwen was on his wing at one point. And now, ultimately, he's back down in the minors. I think that Morgan Frost at this juncture is a serviceable middle six winger. I think that's a fair spot for him if he's playing with the right guys, i.e. Claude Giroux and Cam Atkinson in Philadelphia. But they know that Morgan Frost is their only hope to become a top six or even a top nine center within the next year or two that's currently in their system and isn't named Sean Couturier or Kevin Hayes. Who else do they have down the middle? Connor Bunneman, 4C at very best. Tanner Lazinski, 4C at very best. Maybe Elliot Denoyer, but that's going to be a few years down the road. I think they're saying to Morgan Frost here, we need you to be this. Because if you're just this, and by the second this, I mean a middle six winger, we have a plethora of those type of guys. Mm -hmm. How many middle six wingers do we have here in Philadelphia? I'm sure, Ant, you could rattle up upwards of 10 yeah, exactly. guys, who, guys who have that ceiling. 
So I think this is kind of a shot across the bow at Morgan Frost saying like, look, this is not saying that you're a bad player. This is us just saying that you are a dime a dozen. And if you're going to make it here, you have to find that next level. I, I think you nailed it. I, I really do. I mean, the only other player that I think maybe you, you left out that might get a sniff sooner rather than later is Forster. Um, but he's a winger as well. Well, I, he could play center. He, he, oh, okay. He could. I mean, he could. I mean, so yes, you're right. He is. He is a winger, but he's a guy that they could. They look as a little bit more versatile. That could end up in the middle. Um, but that's it. I mean, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, and even that, I mean, he's not playing this year. We know this. He, he's out pretty much the year. Chuck said that today. So you know, he'll have been, you know, to basically two years removed from his last competitive hockey when he plays again. Um, and even then it was, you know, in the AHL um, during the COVID year when, you know, they struggled to get all their games in. Um, so, yeah, so you're a hundred percent right. There is, there is no other player that they can lean on and say, um, yeah, like you're going to come in and be that a middle six center um, for this team that, that we need. Um, you know, maybe, and, and Chuck talked a little bit about some of the the college kids today. I mean, maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, get, you look at one of those guys and say, oh, okay, they can come out and, and you know, and, and play for this team next year down the line or, or, or so. Um, but you don't know because, A, you don't know who's going to come out of school. Um, like, is Bobby Brink going to come out? Right. Like he's, you know, he's having a hell of a junior year. Is Bobby Brink going to come out and play? And if he does, do you look at him at, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old and say, yep, NHL? Or does he need a season or two playing in the AHL? I mean, so that, I mean, he would be the, he would be the next one after Forrester. Um, but that's it. I mean, they don't even have centers in college. You know, I mean, you want to count Jay O'Brien <laughs> in that list? Like, I, I don't particularly want to count O'Brien in that list. Um, so, yeah, it's really kind of it's really kind of an, an interesting thing. Um, needless to say, I would anticipate that once all of the uh, roster maneuvering is done at the trade deadline and then again in the early part of the offseason, um, that center will probably be a position that the Flyers will look to draft, especially if they're drafting in uh, the lottery, uh, <laughs> um, depending on how far down they can fall. Of course, everyone would like a Shane Wright, but even then, and look, you got you guys know a little bit, I mean, you know, obviously know a little bit more about him than I do being up in, in Montreal, uh, in Canada. You guys follow ki- um, these prospects when they were like, what, six, seven? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's about when you guys start. Um, <laughs> uh even even then, we're you know we're kind of hearing that Shane Wright, as good as they, people think he's going to be, number one overall pick, possibly, probably needs a little bit of a little bit more time. He's not one of those eighteen year olds who comes right in and plays in the NHL. Is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, I, I think the focus is much more so on Connor Bedard, who is projected to go number one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm not even so much looking at this year's draft because I'm sure we all know the cliche and in Philadelphia's case, it would be Brent Flair as the guy who runs the draft. They all just angle towards the best player available. 
that's why they ultimately went with Cam York in 2018 or was it 2019 actually? 19, yeah. Because stylistically, Cole Caulfield was the much better fit, you know, scoring winger. You haven't had one of those since Simon Gagne, but they felt Cam York was the best player. But the Flyers, both at that time and now, are locked and loaded with left shot defensemen as far as the eye can see. But I think where you have to tackle centers is in the impending trades that you're going to make because you have to assume Giroux, and you could speak to this better than me, is going to get traded at this point. Yes, 100%. And Ristolainen, last I heard, they still would prefer to sign him, but the ball is kind of in his court at this point. Yeah, and, and that's going to be one that comes down to, like I keep saying, I think I said it on your podcast as well, and I said it here previously, that's going to be the, that's going to be the Scott Lawton of of 2022 trade deadline. They're either going to trade him that day or they're going to sign him to a new deal that day. It's it's there's not no in between. There's no well we'll figure it out in the offseason. No, no. He either gets traded that day or he gets signed a new deal with the Flyers. Which that's exactly the sense I've gotten it based on people I've spoken to and I I think they would like to re-sign him. Because a lot of people want to trade him, you know, got to recoup assets. And while I agree, you're still going to have to fill that hole in the summer. It's right. not like, you know, if Cam York or Yeager Zamula was a right shot defenseman, then hey, maybe. And for all the people who think, oh, just put York on the right side. Chuck clearly cited it today that he didn't like York playing on his offside with Keith Yandel. But to focus back on the center ice position... Ristolainen and Giroux are the only two guys that could get you a significant haul that would maybe include a young center iceman. Obviously, Giroux being tied to Colorado, everyone was kind of pointing towards Alex Newhook. And you had reported that you got the sense that the Avalanche were trying to deflect away from that. Then Adrian Dater earlier on this week completely debunks that, says there's no way they're trading for Alex. They're trading Newhook for Giroux. And in my mind, personally, if that's the case, Colorado should be off the table. In my opinion, Claude Giroux has to bring back a young centerman. I heard earlier in the week, I believe it was Pierre Lebrun on overdrive on TSN 1050 in Toronto, reported that the Minnesota Wild may be emerging as a dark horse for Claude Giroux. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, the conversation starts with Marco Rossi. That's the kind of guy you got to bring in. If you're talking to the Carolina Hurricanes, the conversation starts with Jack Drury. These are the kind of guys that you have to target here because it's also not the type of scenario with the Flyers that they're embracing a rebuild and you could stock up on draft currency and then try and just draft in volume and eventually one of them will hit. Don't tell that to Ron Hextall, but in theory, that's what should happen. This is a team that wants to get back on the horse and start competing again next year. And if that's the case, you got to try and look to bring in some young center icemen that could be scratching the surface of the NHL this time next season. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I, and I, don't, I just don't see Colorado happening. I think there's just too much that has to go on there. I think Colorado's yeah. got to make a lot of moves to, 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 you know, obviously the Flyers can pay some of that salary. I mean, that's they would be willing to do that to get a better return. Um, but I mean, I just don't see what Colorado does not want to give up a uh, new hook. I don't think they want to give up um, uh, O'Connor, the, uh, the, 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 the young defenseman that they really like too. Uh, oh, Byram, Justin Barron. Yeah. Uh, no, you're, you're thinking of Bowen Byram. 
Yeah. I, I was saying Justin Barron, who is their oh, okay. um, uh, their 20-year-old uh, right-hand shot defenseman uh, that they drafted uh, in the first round in 2020. Um, so I, like, I don't look at that. I don't think the Colorado is going to look and say, yeah, that's who we're giving up for Claude Giroux, because I think, you know, Sackick is smart enough to understand that you're getting Claude Giroux and that's a nice pickup and really could help them win a Stanley Cup. But it's really only for this year. Giroux's probably not re-signing in Colorado after this year, mostly because they won't have the space uh, to, to sign him. Um, so I, I think you're right. I think I think that, it, you know, unless the Avalanche suddenly change their mind and they're willing to part with a kid like Alex Newhook, um, I, I don't think that that's a the place that Giroux ends up. And then you're and then, you know, the teams that I kind of had heard all along. Well, I know Colorado is Giroux's number one choice, but if the, if they can't make it work, he had to give them other teams. Um, and, you know, we don't know that they've officially exchanged names, um, but I kind of have the, the sense that also on Giroux's list, uh, Minnesota, Carolina, St. Louis. And those are the three teams that I think one of those three is where he ends up more so than Colorado. And, and it just makes sense because you have prime targets in each club. You have Marco Rossi, Jack Drury, and probably Robert Thomas. Yeah, with the with the St. Louis Blues. Yep. You know, you had even heard the Boston Bruins, and while I think that would arguably the, be the best fit for him, who are they going to give up? Boston yeah. has nothing left. That right. it just it doesn't make sense. And you know, from a Colorado perspective, I get it that it would kind of help push them over the edge, but like. Is another forward what they need on Colorado? Like, I look at that team and I say, you know what? You need some muscle. You need some size. You need some sandpaper. Like, for me, now that Montreal's in a full-fledged fire sale, I think a guy like Josh Anderson is the type of forward they need to go up against heavier teams like the St. Louis Blues and the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. And I've heard that the, one of the main reasons they wanted Claude Giroux in the first place is because the only top nine forward they have that is a right shot is Nathan McKinnon. So they want some more versatility, but are you going to sell the farm just to bring another right shot? That seems kind of a bit extreme in my opinion. So yeah, it, you zero in on those three teams, St. Louis, Carolina, and Minnesota, because they all make sense for Giroux. They all have theoretically a shot the cup. I think Carolina is far and away the best shot in that regard, but they also each have the pieces that Chuck would be looking for. As much as a first-round pick would be nice, I would much rather take the Carolina Hurricanes, for example, you know, take on Claude Giroux for Jack Drury and a second-round pick. Because I just think that at this point, you need to bring in a young centerman that could be playing as soon as next season. Yeah, the only thing that you worry about with Carolina, and I'm looking at it right now, Ann, is they already traded their first-round pick, right? Um uh, so are they going to be willing to give up a one and a two in the draft? Um, they may tr- come back to you and say, will you take a two in 2023? Would you do that? Would you go, Would you if you're getting Drury, would you take the two next year instead of this year? For me, absolutely. Yes, and I think right? that they should be, yeah, of course. Right, right. That's, so I'm just making sure. I mean, I, like that would be probably where it comes where it comes down to. I don't think anybody's going to give up that first rounder next year. I mean, that could be a difference maker too, man. Any, any trade, even, even if it's Ristolainen and you're getting you're figuring out a way to get a first round pick back, 
if anybody's willing to trade the 23 first rounder, because everybody's saying from all intents and purposes, it's not just, be, you know, because of what's at the top of that draft, it's, it's being you know compared to the, uh, the Richards Carter draft, like, uh, you know, it's one of the best all time groups of young players coming out uh, will be in the 23 draft. So if you can get, even, even if you end up picking late in a round and you can still get a real quality NHL kind of, uh, kind of player there, you, you take that pick, right? Of course. And I also think there's a part of this here that the Flyers may value established talent more than draft picks. And you could speak to this better than me, but like if they were going for a full scale rebuild, then of course you load up on draft currency, more specifically the 2023 draft. But if you're looking to compete next year, we all know they are. I'm sure you've heard the same thing as me. And mm -hmm. we all watched the press conference with uh, Chuck and Dave Scott. I think that they are going to be looking for assets predominantly that could help them as early as next year. And I'll use, let's say, Ristolainen. If he ends, up, he ends up getting traded. The Toronto Maple Leafs are in the market for a top four right shot defenseman. They want a physical body. They want a playoff type of player. We all know they're playoff demons. They want to exercise that. Ideally, they want to go get a guy to play alongside Jake Muzzin uh, on that second pair. Toronto, I believe, has three draft picks right now for the upcoming draft. And yeah, so they have a first, a second, and a seventh. I don't know if Kyle Dubas is looking to trade a first. But if you say, okay, you don't have to trade us a first, but then I want Timothy Lilgren, a right shot defenseman who's currently playing on your third pair. I want a Nick Robertson, a young forward with a high ceiling who has already gotten his feet wet bit in the NHL. Do you think that Chuck and the Flyers would be open to those kind of trades as opposed to just stocking up on draft currency? Yeah, yes, I do. I think that that's a good point the way you, you, way you described it. I mean, sure, they want draft. They want draft currency as well i mean they kind of indicated that you know when they said the best way to build a team is through the draft so um and it's interesting i mean you know we've been you know hot and cold on chuck as a gm uh, here in philly because we were kind of hot and cold on him as a gm in minnesota but if you look at that wild lineup right now it's got some players in it that Chuck drafted like and some really good players that Chuck drafted. So it's, it's not like I'm in a situation where I say, yeah, you know, I don't know if I trust Chuck and Brent, you know, to draft these kids and, and really bring them along and, and have them be good because we're seeing the fruits of their labor in Minnesota right now. So, uh, so yes, I do think that they want draft capital, but I think you're hundred percent correct where they want to be able to have NHL ready, NHL caliber players, not tweeners, not guys who are up and down, guys who can come in and actually play at this level uh, every night uh, and, and be contributors. And they want to get those kinds of players as well in return in these deals. And and you're right, only Giroux and Ristolainen probably can get you those kind of players. And and you know, yeah, you're going to get a pick with it too. It may not be the first round pick, and you think, oh, the Flyers got screwed. They didn't get a first round pick after giving up all that they gave up for Ristolainen. But if you get the player who's an NHL player that comes in with that second round pick, then it then it's a much more it's it's much more level playing field based off of what you originally gave up. And to just swing it back to Chuck's job in Minnesota, I think he was incredibly, I guess, underwhelming in Minnesota because I think Chuck's biggest issue as a general manager historically has been his inability to put a team over the edge. 
I think that he knows how to build a proper foundation, but he just has trouble putting a team over the edge. But you look at that team right now in Minnesota that you brought up, and everyone always just tore Chuck down for the way that he handled the expansion draft in 2017. But the the reason he handled the draft like that, the expansion draft that is, was to protect the defensemen from the Vegas Golden Knights in Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Brodeen, and Matt Dumba. Three guys who still to this day are playing on that defensive core. And obviously at the time they had Ryan Suter who they had to protect as well. Those three defensemen in Spurgeon, Brodeen, and Dumba are still playing massive roles for that team. And then you look at their two best forwards up front, Joel Eriksson-Eck and Kirill Kaprizov, and I believe Jordan Greenway, Greenway although... All, yeah, Greenway was a, one of his picks too. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I don't think that they're bad drafters at all. And especially Brent, I think Brent Flair does a phenomenal job. And we were talking about guys who maybe could be scratching the surface in the Flyers system as of this day. All the guys you brought up were Brent Flair and Chuck Fletcher draft picks. Mm-hmm. You know, Bobby Brink, Tyson Forster, we didn't, uh, Elliot Denway, we didn't touch on him, but a guy like Zade Wisdom, even more, more of a long shot here, like a guy like Emil Andre or Samu Tuamala. Like, these are guys that they have drafted. Like, I think that Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair's drafting has been infinitely better than Ron Hextall's. So I have no doubt that if they are given the resources, the scouting team, that is, they will draft good players. I just think about it of where this team is at organizationally. Would it not be better to get established talent or close to established talent and then just fill in the second round picks that you traded away in the Shane Goss's beer and Rouse's Ristolainen trades. Yeah. And it's, that's a, that's a great question. And one something I actually wanted to bring up um, in conversation with you, because I think, you know, this was something that Danny Briere had mentioned and, and you touched on it very briefly in the beginning of, the, of this episode, but um, you know, Briere says we're not that far away. This team is, and, and you know, it's, the fans that want to hear this, right? Because they hear the same thing. They feel, oh, we hear the same thing every year. We hear the same thing every year, but is Danny right? Like, I mean, do you look, do you look at it and sit there and say, okay, here's who's going to be back next year. Here are the players that are going to be here. Um, you take them, you add in one or two prospects, maybe that, you know, you think that are, that are close or whatever. And then if you, you know, get a couple of NHL caliber players in these trades and then target a free agent or two, because you have some cap space, does this, this team can be good next year. Right. I mean, it, it, it's not ridiculous to say that. And I know we said this last year, and I know we said it the year before, and whatever. And we and we go through this rig- rigmarole every year, and I think that's why so many fans want to say, "Blow it up, tear it down, you know, get all the high picks you can." I get it. They're going to get a high draft pick next year. I'm not guaranteeing it's going to be number one in this summer, but they're going to get a top top five probably. Um, so they're going to get a really big name draft pick. Um, they're going to they're going to go out and and, and go after guys in free agency because they're going to have cap space to do so. And they're going to add a couple players here at the deadline, probably, that are NHL caliber players. Plus, you have these kids that are coming that are Brent and Chuck's kids. Makes you think, right? Makes you think that this can actually kind of turn around faster than than maybe everybody thinks it can. Well, look, uh, you know, before the season started, I don't want to put you on the spot with that. Well, no, it's not putting me on the spot. It's that like, I'm taking a breath of, you know, I'm taking a deep breath before I say this, before I start getting darts thrown at me. 
But before the season started, I went on record several times saying that I thought that this was a team that could be one major piece away, that major piece preferably being a top six centerman, like a Hurdle or Dylan Larkin, from being a cup contender. Obviously, they're farther away than that. I think that when healthy, the defensive group as is, is good enough to win a Stanley Cup. I think that Ivan Provorov, Ryan Ellis, Travis Sanheim, Rosmus Ristolainen, and Justin Braun as your number five is a good enough top five to go deep and contend for Stanley Cup. Their wingers, I think, are, ad- are passable. I do think that there's some guys that you desperately need to change out and find some more of niche players. Like if you could swap out JVR and Oscar Lindblom for Barkley, Goudreau, Blake Coleman types, I think that would go a very long way with this hockey team. I, I do think they've addressed the physicality part a bit with guys like Dak McEwen, but McEwen, you know, his ceiling is of a fourth liner. If you could add like even like a Josh Anderson, it would go a long way. And then they're missing the center depth. So you can make the case here that when everyone's fully healthy, they are maybe two, three bigger pieces away. But these are bigger pieces. And you are still banking on, can Travis Konechny, if he's still around, can he get back on track and be a consistent 55-25 goal scorer? Can you bank on Sean Couture and Kevin Hayes being healthy? Can you swap out guys like Oscar Lindblom and JVR for more physical niche players to, you know, play that playoff type hockey. So they're not far away in theory. It's just the question of if they will be able to bring in these guys. And the other part that kind of scares me that can be fixed, depending who they bring in is the age of these guys. You know, when Dave Scott was talking about the core players, he, he cited Ellis, Couturier, Hayes. By this time next year, all those guys will be in their 30s. Ellis is already there. So they are banking a lot on three guys with significant injury histories and guys who are already in their early 30s. Now, it's not the end of the world. I think that they can make it work because when Ellis is there, I think Ivan Provorov plays like a bona fide number one defenseman, key, when he's there. And if they are able to bring in a stud young center iceman who could maybe play that 2c role like if you could bring in a marco rossi or jack jury or robert thomas to you know plug right smack dab in the middle of katori and hayes maybe he could take some of the you know those shifts away from those guys so i don't think that they're far away it's just the pieces they need are very significant ones yeah and uh you're not wrong you're not wrong, and I, I and I and I say that all the time to, to Ross, and he laughs when I when I say you're not wrong because there's always like that little caveat, right? Like you're not wrong, but um, I, you know, in this instance, I, I look at it and I say and I say to myself, how much are they really, you know, do, how well do they really self evaluate, right? I mean, I, and I think that that's really what this part of this comes down to. You really have to be able to look at yourself and identify what you have and how good it's going to be or how good you think it's going to be. Obviously, you don't really know 100%, but you have to be able to self-evaluate enough to know what those pieces are that you need to go out and get. And, and, that, and I, I think that that's, that that's why I'm a little bit um, on the positive side here because I, I look at it and say, 
they are spending some money here right now. They promoted Alan McCauley. They promoted Tom Minton. They promoted Danny Briere. They hired two more full-time analytics folks, okay, who are going to come in and take this big uh, data dump that the NHL is going to provide them, and they're going to mine through it and try and find some some ways to, to help the team. That's great. That's great. So now if you have such an expanded front office, you would think that the next step then has to be now find those find those areas find ways for this team with what we have to win. And, and, and that's why I think that there, I believe that there is a commitment to it. You see what I'm saying? I, I, you don't go out and, and hire all these people just to show, just to make pretend that you, that you care. Right. I mean, and I, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I've said it a million times that I, you know, I, I kind of felt like Dave Scott prior to two weeks ago was kind of an absentee, uh, governor chairman whatever you want to call him um really didn't express much you know didn't talk talk enough and didn't you know say what he felt and getting get involved um i really kind of felt like that was a thing and yeah maybe he didn't say things the right way you know he forgets carter hart right as part of the core of the team um and, and maybe you know he just you know he gets a, got a little bit too excited by a jerry mayhew goal um <laughs> you know excuse me those things are really not that important. But the fact of the matter is, is the, the guy, and it's not his money, but he's opened up Comcast's checkbook to build this front office. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but you have to sit there and say, they're doing it at a time where now, guess what? They're going to have the professional scouting meetings this week, I think, or next week that they're going to have them. They're going to start talking about the pro players that might be available in, in trade. Then they're going to have their amateur scouting meetings, and then they're going to get ready for the draft, and they're going to have a bigger team working on it than ever before. And so if all the fans who sit there and say, well, for too long, it's been the same old, same old. It's been the same old former Flyers players. It's been Bob Clark and Paul Holmgren and nobody else right, making these decisions. And, and, you know, and you look at it now, and there's a GM, a special assistant to the GM, two assistant general managers, president of player development, uh, president, a player, a vice president, or president of hockey operations, where director of hockey operations. So that's what Tom Minton's title is, director of hockey operations. And now a five-person uh, analytics group, plus all the scouts, that are all going to be kind of tied into this. That's a lot. That's that's a lot. It's more than the Flyers have ever had. And like I said, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's going to work. But you got to sit there and say, if this doesn't work, then then what does? You, you make valid points, honestly. And the other part about this is, is that all of Chuck Fletcher's moves in a vacuum have worked. Like, let's go through all of his major transactions. The Kevin Hayes contract may be a bit rich, but you needed that player then, and you still need him now. We just outlined the lack of overall center ice depth in the organization. So while that is an overplay for the player in a vacuum, you still need that player then, now, and in the immediate future. Justin Braun, Matt Niskanen, these are all trades that I think everyone does 10 times over. Then you look at this most recent summer, when you bring in a guy like Martin Jones on the cheap. I think he's been passable. I think Ristolainen, yeah, it was an overpay. We all knew it was an overpay at the time. But what you wanted him to come in and be a solid number four, he has been. A guy like Cam Atkinson, 
brilliant trade. Brassard, when healthy, has been a good pickup player on the cheap. Ryan Ellis, when healthy, has been good. And what you gave up for him was next to nothing. Every move with the aside from, let's say, Eric Gustafson that Chuck Fletcher has made has been good and has addressed what the team needed. So for that, I trust Chuck Fletcher to realize and address what is wrong with the team because he has a track record over the last three years of him being here of doing so. And then, like you said, he brings in all these different guys, these different cooks to come in the kitchen, like Tom Min, Min Alan McCauley, Danny Briere, who's been working behind the scenes for several months with the front office. I think that this team has a good group of guys in the front office. And for all the people that wanted everyone gone, fire Chuck Fletcher, I don't really think, I think that was just kind of screaming into the into the void a bit because they just... They got the coach fired and that didn't work. So then they were looking for the next easy fix. So they moved into the next guy above the coach. And then after that, it's been Dave Scott. But the only thing that I'm trepidatious about is that they're still trying to compete with the Ron Hextall plan. Because that's what Chuck Fletcher has been doing since he got here. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Is trying to salvage Ron Hextall's plan. And the only thing that worries me a little bit is that he's just running running out of runway here. Had Chuck Fletcher got here in, let's say, 2017, I think that this story would have gone a lot differently because the first year that Chuck Fletcher was here, 1920, that was the best year we had seen from the Flyers since 11-12. That was an excellent hockey team, and it wasn't just them winning games on the back of Carter Hart and hanging on for dear life. Like They were top 10 in a lot of underlying numbers as team statistics. Alain Vigneault had those guys bought in. The only problem is, is that this group of players has been together for a long time over a lot of coaches and a lot of GMs. So it's not so much the problem that I have with Chuck Fletcher and his ability to, to assess what's wrong with this team and to fix it. I'm just a bit scared that he's not going to have the necessary time to save this current group of players. And that's a fair point. And that's a fair question. And, and a lot of that will be determined by who his next coach is. Because that's, I think that's it. I think this is, he gets one more crack at it with a coach, right? He has one more, one more shot to bring in a coach. And yes, of course, he's going to lean on advisors as well. Um, and, and, and the, you know, the rest of the team to make a decision here, but this is, this is it. I mean, this is going to be the final call for him and it's either going to work and Chuck's going to, you know, preside over the flyer Renaissance or it's going to fail and Chuck's going to be fired and, you know, burned at the stake. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, that's really what's going to happen. So, um, with that said, uh, you know, one of the things that we had talked about, I even brought up on, on your pod, um, was uh, Craig Baruby was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Would you bring him back? Of course, everyone would. Um, however, St. Louis did the smart thing and finally said, okay, Craig, we, we will meet the dollar figure that you want um, to make him the new head coach of the, uh, the head coach of the Blues for three more years beyond this season. Um, and that was a good move by the Blues. They, they came off of a number. They were locked in and were insistent, even behind the scenes, they were insistent that they were not going to move off that number. And then they did. So good good on them. So that takes, that takes Chief out of the mix. 
interesting thing. And, and did you see anything? And maybe you have more perspective on this up in Montreal. But there was a there's kind of a, a notion that maybe Torts might be up go up there at least temporarily to try and uh, be like a uh, you know a right hand man to to Marty uh, or at least be like an advisor for Marty. Anything that you can add in on that? Well, I know that people were talking about him potentially coming up to be the head coach, but obviously that wouldn't work because he doesn't speak French. Right. But I could see it as a way for them to dip their toe, dip his toes back in the NHL level. I don't think that they cleared out their coaching staff. I think it was just Dominic Ducharme who lost his job. I believe Luke Richardson and Alex Burroughs. I would have to double check this, but I believe those two are still on the staff. So I could see John Tortorella maybe coming up at some point because Marty St. Louis has no experience as an NHL head coach. So that that theory would make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and that was one thing that was someone mentioned it to me. And I said, if I'm torts, I, you know, I, I'm a head coach. I, I don't necessarily want to go into that reign of uh, I'm going to be an assistant now. Um, I could see doing it on a short term because, you know, Marty was your player. You had a great relationship with him. Kind of want to you know, help him get started. Maybe go up there and you know do do a little bit of work with him. But I I think ultimately that if a head coaching job came along for Tortorella and the right one, that he would that he would jump at it, no question. Um, there are people in this organization who want John Tortorella in Philadelphia. As much as you and I <laughs> doing what we do. Uh, would like towards here. I'm not certain that that's the direction necessarily to go. If you are trying to bring this team back next season, you know Look, what I'm saying? Um, he, yeah. Because of the way he, he's, he is so different. He's very, well, I mean, I, look, accountability is great. I mean, we love that, right? He's Mr. Accountability, but his, his system is so defensive oriented. That it almost goes flies in the face of we need high end talent, you know, to, to win because what's he going to do? He's going to he's going to he's going to restrict that high end talent by forcing him to play defense. You know, the I think that the Tortorellas of the world are cut from the same cloth as the AVs in the sense that you bring in these guys when you're ready to win. And I think that I'll I'll touch on AV a bit. I've talked about it at nauseum on Brotherly Pod. But I think AV is the kind of guy that you bring him in when you have your top four defensemen, your top three centermen, your scorers, your this, your that. And then he takes those players and he makes a good team out of them. Like we saw in 1920. The problem you run from with AV, and he said as much when he got here, he came to Philly to win a Stanley Cup, is when you ask him to start developing players. I think that's why we saw him use Morgan Frost on the left wing of the top line with Giroux and Atkinson because that was the best opportunity with Frost for this team to win. He wasn't going to try and waste his time developing Frost as a you know 200-foot centerman. I think Tortorella is a bit more... I guess of a hybrid that he can help develop some guys. Like we saw how great Zach Warinsky became under his watch, even a guy like Seth Jones under his watch. But again, these are all defensemen. What are you going to do when you have forwards? And to your point, the flyers don't really have any forwards that can facilitate offense on their own, especially once Giroux leaves. 
And for as good as Sean Couturier is, he's a slightly above average offensive player at best. I mean, his elite level play comes on the defensive side of the puck. I don't think anyone would dispute that. So if you bring in a John Tortorella and plays a defensive system, how are you going to score? We saw it with AV and Tarion. I found that they played very structured defensive hockey, but they could never score because they didn't have that one guy who could take it blue line to blue line, gain the offensive zone with control, and then create a play all on his own. And you look at John Tortorella's track record. When he won the cup, he had the likes of Brad Richards and Vincent LeCavalier and Marty St. Louis. You look at his success with the Columbus Blue Jackets. They had Artemi Panarin. They had a younger 40-goal scoring Cam Atkinson. In the later years of Pierre-Luc Dubois, who we all know did not get along well with John Tortorella. With the New York Rangers, to a lesser extent, you had, I believe at that time, it was Marion Gabrick who was still on that team. Nash. The early year, Rick Nash, Brad Richards, I believe, just got there. Like You need to have guys who are... Uh, not maybe elite, but very good above average forwards for a John Tortorella to work. Guys who will be like, okay, everyone's playing defensively. I'm going to do this on my own and get them a goal. But do the Flyers have that? Yeah. And so then, so then it's, that's why I think that the coach, I don't think that the next coach is going to be a big name guy. I really don't. I think it's going to be a secondary level type coach. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I, I I really don't think that you need to hire a big name, especially since they're paying twelve and a half million dollars to Elaine Vigneault to not coach right now. Um, the, the other names that, that will come up. Um, are you? Does Dave Tippett excite you at all? He just got fired in Edmonton. I mean, he was a guy who had like a lot of people talking about him a few years back as. He's that kind of coach that can, you know, really get a team going. But then he had the two best players in the in the world and couldn't win with them. So what does that tell you? Look, uh, I don't like to say that coaches are overrated because I don't know what goes on in the locker room. But I think Dave Tippett is one of the more overrated coaches in the NHL. Like, I mean, obviously he had that run with the Coyotes where they made the conference final, I believe it was 2012 against the Kings. Before that, the Dallas Stars, they never really did all that much under his watch. I think they got to the second round maybe a few times. But no, I'm not a fan of Dave Tippett. To be honest, if I think a type of coach that this team needs is a Paul Maurice. Uh, I'm a real big fan of Paul Maurice, and maybe not even so much of his structure, because we all know that in Winnipeg, they were just a very high-octane team that bled defensive chances that relied heavily on Connor Hellebuck. But at the same time, when your team is built a certain way, coaches are going to adapt. You know, I thought that Craig Berube's biggest fault in Philadelphia was that he tried to make a very bad defensive team be a defensive team. You know what I mean? And when you have a defense that's below average in Winnipeg and you have arguably the best top six and most talented top six in the NHL with line A, I'm talking about when Maurice was there, guys like line A and Connor and Ehlers and Shifley and a younger Paul Stashney and Blake Wheeler, obviously you're going to play more high octane hockey. But even more so of his tactics, I just think that Maurice is a guy that really commands respect from his players. And people forget he was 
under contract as the coach of the Jets. He was only their second coach since moving back to Winnipeg. I think he was there for like eight years or something since 2014. And he just comes off as a guy that would get this team back on track. And Alain Vigneault, I liked him as a coach, but I just don't think he was the right coach for this team. I think he's a guy that needs a veteran group of players who already know their roles. Mike Yeo, a super guy, I just don't think much of him as a head coach. But a guy like Paul Maurice never won a Stanley Cup, so he's still going to have that hunger there to try and win. But at the same time, he's, he's going to know what he's walking into. He's done it in Winnipeg. He brought up guys like Connor, guys like Ehlers, guys like Shifley, guys like Morrissey, even a younger goalie like Connor Hollabuck. So he's had, he's had experience handling a younger goalie who had superstar potential and realized that. So maybe that'd be a good coach for, um, for uh, Carter Hart. I think Paul Maurice is a guy that would check a lot of boxes for me. He would. That's a good name. Um, I, I I still think that it comes down to again the name that Chuck wanted. And we talked about this before. This isn't a, a surprise. The guy that Chuck wanted mo- most, um, if he had to make the make the change, if he could have made the change a little bit later, um, didn't make it when he did. Uh, what is Blues assistant coach Jim Montgomery, um, Montreal native. <laughs> yes. Also, the guy for Philadelphia's references um, who coined the nickname the Legion of Doom um, said it out loud at a practice says, look at these guys. They look like the Legion of Doom out there. And that that's where it became from from <laughs> for for forever. Uh, the, one of the great names, uh, nicknames for a line in, in NHL history, not just Flyers history. Um, but I think there are other guys that are not big names that they will consider. Um, David Quinn. I mean, what do you, what do you think of Dave? I mean, he, had, he only had that, you know, first two years of the Rangers rebuild and then he was let go. But I think he's one of those younger coaches that maybe connects with younger players a little bit better. That might be, that might be someone that, that the Flyers would consider in this spot. It's possible. I, I really, I don't know where they go with the next coaching decision because they've kind of gone away from the new young guy coming out from college and Hackstall. Then they did the full 180 going with a guy like AV. And now you have Mike Yo, who's kind of out in no man's land in terms of a coach. Well, I guess, well, I'll just tackle that for a second. Do you think he's a dead man walking? Mike I do. Yo? Yeah, I mean, maybe they find a way to keep him as an assistant or of some kind. You know, I mean, they now have three assistants, right? You got one guy as an eye in the sky and two guys on the bench. Maybe they can find a way to keep him as an assistant there, or maybe you know he goes down and works with the Phantoms in some capacity. Who knows? But uh, you know, Chuck's going to try and keep him in house somehow. Um, I just don't. I I think that they move. They, they go to a whole new coaching staff. I just don't. I don't see how he stays on the. I, he, like I said, maybe he's the eye in the sky. That's that's the best I think that he gets. Almost like a thank you for putting up with this nonsense. How would you evaluate the transition from AV to Mike Yo? <laughs> it's hard, man. Like I mean, I don't I don't think that there's been much better. Um, I think there's a couple of guys who've 
who've looked better since that change, but not many, not many. I just really think it's just kind of been more of the same, to be honest with you. Um, he hasn't shown that he that he should even be considered. And you might as well forget. I mean, Dave Dave Scott basically signed his walking papers at the press conference when he started talking about, hey, we have a lot of other options out there, don't we? Like, almost like it wasn't like he wasn't even going to be considered. Yeah. So, you know, you bring up Jim Montgomery, David Quinn, maybe a guy like Travis Green, yeah. who just lost his job in Vancouver. Uh, like, I think those would be, if they do look for, like, more of a, like, tier two slash three coach, I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, Green Montgomery, I think, because I believe even Montgomery, he was let go in Dallas for reasons other than direct coaching uh, Correct. results. Correct. Um, so maybe that's something you look at, be like, okay, if he's, you know, uh, exercises demons, maybe he could get back on, you know, a whole second chance type of storyline. You would probably, a lot of people would be pulling for him for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I think if they go for the A-level coach, do you, like Maurice, I guess for me is because he's kind of like an in-between of a player's coach and a tougher coach, but I mean, I I could see them going with, I guess, a, a lesser name like you brought up just because they did it with AV, and I guess Yo kind of falls in that mix as well. But, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting. And even who, like, will they retain a guy like John Torchetti? Like, it's going to be very interesting for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a lot that, that kind of plays out here, Ant, over the next, um, well, certainly over the next six weeks before the trade deadline. Um Actually, it's just under six weeks at this point. And, you know, then we'll probably have a little bit of a lull from from March 21st through June. It kind of always like that. Yeah, it'll be kind of tough to get through that last month and a half of the season. And then, you know, the 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 postmortem will, will be what it, what it is. And we'll watch some good hockey playoffs and be like, yeah, the Flyers aren't even close to these teams. Uh, but then it'll ramp up again, uh, probably mid mid June. Um, and then we'll really see where things go. But it. I think it's going to be a really interesting off season for this organization in a lot of ways, but I mean, predominantly we're talking, we've talked about the, the on ice product. I think it's, I think it's one that's going to have some, some turnover. Um, there's going to be a lot of new faces, but at the same time, I also think there's a real good chance that this time they get some stuff, right. Um, because, they're committing themselves to it. They're committing themselves to getting it right. And again, they could, they could be, they could blow it up. They could be completely wrong. All these hires can turn out to be disasters. I don't think that they are. I mean, not, you know, you, you've, you've talked to Danny. I know Danny's very smart, smart guy to hear him say that he believes in Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair. Well, yeah, there's, he wouldn't, Danny wouldn't put himself into this situation if he didn't think it was one that would be successful and beneficial for him. Um, so I think that that's a, that's another thing to keep in, under consideration because you got, you got some smart individuals who are aligning themselves now with this front office and feel that they can make a difference moving forward. So that's, I think that there's a small reason some that little ray of sunshine that is shining through gives uh, gives you a little bit of hope. If you're a Flyers fan, as you approach the uh, the uh, off season, the rest of the season and the off season, and you think about 22, 23. Yeah, like, look, there's, like I said, 
if you want to be optimistic about Chuck Fletcher, look at the moves he did last summer. And I think all with the exception of Keith Yandel, they all worked out fairly well. Like, okay, Nate Thompson has barely played and people hated him <laughs> as is. But, you know, even the Ryan Ellis move, like the guy got hurt. What do you want? And they, he gave up a bag of pucks for him. So even at that, can you really blame him? Rosmus Ritzelainen, I think even the analytics crowd has come around on the fact that, hey, this guy is a pretty solid number four defenseman who is a fair, fairly above average at, you know, on the offensive side of the puck. So I, I think that Chuck Fletcher has shown that he has his finger on the pulse on what's wrong with his team. At this point, it's just a, a matter of does he do what's ultimately necessary? And I don't think it's just a matter of adding some veteran depth pieces anymore. I think now some hockey trades might be in the mix. Will a Travis Konechny have to be moved out for a similar type player in terms of caliber, but just a different kind of guy to shake up the room? Do you move on from Travis Sanheim to bring in a centerman because now you have Cam York and Igor Zamula waiting in the wings? Like, I think that this summer we may see more hockey trade type of moves as opposed to just like the depth additions as aside from like the wrist and Ellis trades that we saw last year. I agree. And one final thing I want to touch on with you, Ant, um, before we wrap this up, we, uh, we've had a really brisk hour and a half together here. Um, <laughs> it was good. It's a good conversation. Um, Flyers hired their first um, female on the hockey operation side. Uh, Catherine Yates was hired as a hockey analyst in the analytics department. Uh, she is, and, and I know really very little about her. I'm just basically going off of the press release that they put out. Um, she spent two years at UMass, uh, at the working with the uh, men's hockey team as their director of analytics. Um, and she's been working as a graduate student and research fellow within the analytics department for the Boston Bruins since May of last year. Uh, she will graduate from the university of Massachusetts with a dual master's in business administration, sports management, and we'll join the Flyers at the conclusion of the UMass hockey season. So this is not like, you know, you're going out and getting some uh, someone with experience, too. I mean, this is – they're really going, you know, young, um, fresh ideas, fresh, fresh minds, looking at the game from a whole different direction, and – They've they've hired their first uh, first woman in the department. I think I think it's interesting to to say, you know, the, the, their their approach here is let's be progressive, but at the same time, let's you know let's exhaust all possible avenues that we can to find what it is we need to make this a good hockey team again. Well, look, I I think that it's about time that, you know, a woman gets a job in the front office. I think that she certainly has the qualifications for it. That made me feel stupid real fast, (laughs) you firing off all of her um, accolades. But look, I, I think it is just another example of them trying to get as many hockey minds from all aspects and all areas into this room and really try and get this thing back on the rails. You know, I, I would have to assume that what the I think we might have lost you there for a minute, Ant. I think your disconnection, your connection just went. Look, I, I think it's, pardon me. There you go. All right, that's, you just came back. 
We lost. Oh, you about, okay. We lost you about ten seconds there. So rewind your mind for ten seconds, <laughs> and then can pick up where you left off. So they bring in Emily Castonguay and Cami Granado as assistant general managers with the Vancouver Canucks. And I think that what the Flyers have done, not only thinking outside the box here, but also bringing in someone who's clearly qualified for the role and clearly will bring a different dimension of thought into that room. I really really like this hire, and I think it's going to open the door for a lot more hires like this around the NHL. I agree. I think it's I think it's a really good, a really smart hire by the Flyers. So, well, you know what, Ant? With that, I want to thank you for for coming up and uh, filling in on Snow the Goalie this week. Um, and uh, I, I'll tell you what, I think you, you did a heck of a job. Um, Russ, better watch out; his his job might be in danger. Um, but unfortunately, we're gonna have to send you back down until until uh, further notice. But keep doing a good job <laughs> down at the lower level, and we'll we'll keep our eye on you and. Hopefully we'll be able to bring you back up soon. Oh, well, I appreciate it, man. Uh, anytime you need the call up, give me a shout. And hopefully I didn't do such a bad job that I'll be on my way to the ECHL. So hopefully it is, <laughs> hopefully my progression stays linear on this one. No, I think, you know, in all honesty, if we're, if we're just being honest here, as even though we're recording uh, at the current moment, I, if I, if I had to stop, <sighs> no. Did you crap out? Did you hear me? No. All right, hold on. Hold on. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you. Okay. All right. I'll, rec- I'll I pulled my wire out accidentally while I was trying to type. Um, I'll just pick up where I left off. So we'll, I'll edit that, that part out. Uh, but you know, in, in all honesty, Ant, I'll tell you that even though, um, you know, it was just a, 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 a you, you coming up here and doing this, I thought, I thought it was a real intelligent conversation. And sometimes, the one criticism that we get on this on Snow the Goalie, although we're you know we hold everybody's feet to the fire, and we you know I try to I try to be as uh, as professorial as I can uh, when it comes to hockey. Uh, sometimes you know we, we we just tend to be you know the a little emotional uh, on this podcast, um, and so because of that, it's every once in a while it's nice to kind of pull that back and 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 have a real good hockey conversation. And I think having you on the show today allowed us to do just that. So make sure you follow Anthony DeMarco um, uh, on uh, well at the fourth period um, where he does his uh, his writing. Um, he's the like I said, he's on the Brotherly Pod podcast. Um, on you guys put that your your episode comes out on Thursdays. Is that correct? Uh, we typically do two or three. We typically do two per week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays. But if not, it's Wednesdays. So it's somewhere in the middle of the week. <laughs> somewhere in the middle of the week. Uh, but most importantly, you can follow him on Twitter at a demarco twenty five. Anthony Demarco, thank you for joining us here on Snow the Goalie, and uh, we will see you next week uh, again. Hopefully, with Russ and Bundy back, and uh, we'll have some a uh, couple more games, Flyers games to talk about, and maybe some uh, maybe some Flyers news. Uh, as we get closer to uh, the deadline, because Chuck did say teams have already started reaching out. So maybe we'll start digging in, digging in and see what teams uh, that Chuck may be talking to. Until then, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant Sanfilly on Twitter. Have a great day.